Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of For the Good of the Game, a unique podcast dedicated to providing football insights and life skills. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey, guys, it's JD coming to you from MZ Studios in Dallas, Texas. We are here with Coach Robert Ford today on another episode of For the Good of the Game. He was an extremely fast wide receiver at the University of Houston, and it has the unique distinction of holding a record that no one has ever broken, and that is that he's the only guy in history at any level to have had two 99-yard touchdown receptions in a career. And uh, that, that, that feat has not been duplicated. Now, Coach Ford has coached at every single level you can think of, a, a very, very uh, a thorough resume at the college level, but more uniquely was a three-time Super Bowl champion as the tight ends coach for the Dallas Cowboys, and uh, for those that are fans or, or know the era uh, when the Cowboys had the tr- so-called triplets uh, in, in mm-hmm. stock there, Jay Novacek was the featured tight end at that mm-hmm. point. So I want to welcome Coach Robert Ford to the program today. Well, I thank you. I really appreciate that. Coach, what I'd like to do, as we do with all our guests, is, is kind of uh, let you take a look back at, at kind of the progression you went through as a youngster coming up to when you went to you know, U of H, that kind of beginning your football journey type look back, that re- retrospective. Okay, I <clears throat> one thing I'm a Texan, uh, so I I played my high school football at Belton, Texas, and uh, my head coach, his name was Jack Meredith, Coach Meredith. He was the one that told me that he want, He said, "Why don't you go to University of Houston?" I wanted my choices were uh, USC, Oklahoma, and Ohio State. Ohio State sent two recruits down to meet me. And when I came into the room, I stood up, shook their hands, and they walked out. And they walked out because I'm a midget. <laughs> so so that my, my high school coach told me, why don't you go to University of Houston? Because they wanted you as a junior. And besides that, they, they assured me that you wouldn't have to block. I said, well, that's pretty good. And and I was a good student, so he knew it wasn't going to be a problem with education. I mean, sure. academics and anything. And he was right. Uh, as soon as I got on campus at University of Houston, they moved me outside. So I really didn't have to block. But occasionally I would run a reverse and that thing. But, but I really enjoyed playing at UH. And it, it just so happened when I went to UH and played, I played with some outstanding players. Uh, the two tight ends. Were Raleigh Odoms and Earl Thomas, both of them were number one draft choices. My roommate was Robin Newhouse, who played for the Cowboys. The split end was the number one draft choice for the Kansas City Chiefs, Ammo Wright, and that was me on the other side. Wow. So we, we were somewhat, as far as skill was concerned, pretty pretty loaded. But to, to make an ironic story uh, sounds funny, when I was a sophomore at UH, Mm-hmm. The starting twenty-two players, right? Twenty of them got drafted. Wow! One of them that didn't get drafted, you are looking at. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we we were a very talented football team, and uh, you know we we had Charlie Ford, Chris Hall, we had Jerry Drones. All these guys played on deep. The Brazina brothers, mm-hmm. two Peacock brothers. So they were 
UH was very talented at that particular time. And, and to clarify, when you got to UH, what was your physical stature at that point? What was your height and weight at that point? <laughs> Five, seven, 160. Okay. So, and, and, and when you got there, bona fide, abs- what, what kind of 40 speed were you clocking then? Well, at, at that particular time, and I will say very low, 431, 429, I was running 100, I was running a 956. So I, I really could get it. Uh, but my first day at UH, it, I, it took me a little while to get on the football field uh, because UH did not have any pants to fit me. So they had to go to Jack Yates to buy a pair of pants so I can go get on the football field. You know, they must have had problems at opposite ends of the spectrum. <laughs> they couldn't find someone small enough to fit you or large enough to fit Robert Newhouse. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they had amazing. to. I remember he had to, you know, he was during his career had to have special made oh, pants, yeah. you know, because yeah. he was so big. That's awesome. You know, it's it's funny because when we were talking to uh, Billy White Shoes a couple of weeks ago, he brought up the the county team where he played and all mm-hmm. those guys were, you know, John Capaletti was on that right. team. I mean, the, the laundry list. And it's weird when you see the concentration of talent like that in one oh, yeah. location. Oh, I mean, that's a credit to the coaching staff right. at, at university of Houston during that time frame right. to bring all that talent together. So when you, um, when you got to Houston and, and started to kind of see, you know, as they say, speed kills, you know, and mm-hmm. then you saw how they were going to use you mm-hmm. as, as a weapon kind of tactically within the game. Um, did it help you really appreciate the, just uh, the degree to which your talents could be put to put to use on the football field? Yes, I, I first thing, I really appreciate them just giving me opportunity. And and one thing that I really loved about Coach Yeoman, he was not partial to it. And you know, if you're a good football player, you're going to play. Mm-hmm. And he he figured out a way how to play you. So it it was very easy what my role was. He was going to quick screen me. I mean, I probably ran four quick screams a game, and he'll throw a curl to me every once in a while, and everything else was supposed to go route. And that was it. It it, it wasn't very complicated. I, he didn't ask me to run drag routes, uh, come inside. He said, post, go, we'll run a quick screen every once in a while, and then we'll run a curl with you. And that was it. That was well, my trait. And the reason I ask that question is because having watched you coach mm-hmm. and, and coach in every position – on the field, basically. I mean, I, right. it, and, but I, I, for those that, that, uh, that haven't had the pleasure, I, I, I love, it's, it's almost like seeing the Energizer Bunny coaching <laughs> because you, you put so much passion into what you do. And I mean that it, it truly, I, I hate the phrase with all due respect. I mean it passionately. It's, it's, um, th- there are a lot of coaches that know X's and O's. Right. And there are a lot of coaches that, uh, that can get people, uh, emotionally connected to what they're doing. And you have the unique gift of doing both because that energy comes out of you into that player you're coaching. And it really helps focus what you're teaching them. And when you go through those experiences like you did as a player at University of Houston, I think it gives you a very unique perspective on how to better utilize those players in your charge when you become a coach, whether it's at the college level or in your right. case, so so much success with the tight ends at right. the Dallas Cowboys. So um, when you... When you finished your playing career at University of Houston and uh, it got to that point where it looked like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm not going to move on and, and go into the NFL at that point. Um, what about the game at that point attracted you to really dive into coaching or did you start right away? Yes, I did, but it, it, it was truly by accident. I, I, I'm 
I already had graduated, mm-hmm. but I'm still taking classes. I have no idea what I'm going to do. I am in a kinesiology class, and the person that was sitting to my right was a young man named Mike Laney. Well, his dad was the, the assistant superintendent of the high schools in Saginaw, Michigan. And, and so Mike asked me, he said, my dad wanted to ask for him to ask me, would I be interested in coaching in Michigan? He said, well, we're looking for a, a guy that, that can coach swimming, a guy that can help in track and in football. And it just so happened that I had my certification to be a, to, to be a swim instructor. And I said, I don't have anything going my way. I'll be glad to do it. That's awesome. So the next time the class attended, he gives me a telephone number. He said, call, call my dad after, after class. He wants to talk to you. He offers the job on the phone. And I take it without seeing the place. Isn't that crazy? Yes. And it, what's even crazier I drive almost 24 hours straight, get to Saginaw, and I go down the wrong street the wrong way and have a daggum accident. Just, I mean, it was, that, that was my luck. But, but that is the way I, I got in coaching. And uh, we, we were not good in swimming, but we had a great diver. And I, I mean a great one. Now, we were outstanding in track. Uh, I... I always make fun of my wife and mother-in-law. They both from Michigan, and that's where I met her at. Incidentally, uh, June sixth, we are at the state track meet mm-hmm. in Flint. I am wearing a park, and it's snowing. Oh yes, and while the 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 team is running around the track, and we we doing very well. Only thing I can think of, I am getting back to Texas. Period. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that was it. So. <laughs> But I, I did enjoy myself coaching second all. The the athletes were outstanding. Uh the 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 young man, although he was a baby at that particular time when I was there, uh the forward for the Warriors, mm-hmm. he came through the system. He was in middle school at that particular time. Uh but he had some great players. I mean some great players in that, that particular area. But it was cold. I, I can imagine. I've I've been up that way once. I do have relatives up that way, mm-hmm. but uh, I absolutely can relate in terms of wanting to get back mm. to Texas. It's, you know, and I, I, you know, we we've lived in Kentucky for a long time, and and the the I guess the nice thing is you do get all four seasons. You just get them every <laughs> year in different lengths and different mm-hmm. severities. So, I, and it gets old after a while. Oh, yeah. I like I like the uh, I like the uh, the warmth, especially oh, as I've gotten too. older. So when you started, so you you start that that. That really is a rather, uh, it's almost serendipity for starting, right. you know, getting into coaching like that. So as you go through your, your career of coaching college football, and I, I know that you came back at one point later and, and coached some high school, but what, what kind of progression was it that led you to go through some of those jobs you had in the colleges? Was it more the, uh, the relationships or the jobs, you think? Uh, well, it was basically both. I, uh, I'm at Second Ohio, mm-hmm. and and I'm not even there a full year. I get a telephone call for from a coach named Ch- Charlie Dickens, who was at that particular time one of the secondary coaches at University of Houston, and he he said that the Mr. Gill, I forgot his name off the top of my head. He was the the AD at Western Illinois University. They were looking for a receiver and tight end coach. And they recommended me. So so 
I fly down there and they offer me the job, but they tell me the first year that I'm that they didn't have enough because of the the way the double division two statues coaches was concerned. Mm-hmm. I had to come in as a, a a GA. So while I was there, I got my master's in athletic administration, and and that particular year, uh, the tight end was drafted by the uh, Denver Broncos in the second round. Uh, one wide receiver was drafted in the third round by the Minnesota Vikings, and the other receiver was drafted by the Atlanta Falcons in the fourth. And we were the number two team in the country, Division Two, But the number one team in Division Two was Northern Michigan. It just so happened they was in the same conference we were. And and we we played them. They took the daggum West Illinois emblem off the helmet. I mean, they beat us up pretty good. Wow. And and at that particular time, the the playoffs were only taking the the champion. Right. So we didn't go any place. Man. And we only lost one game. Isn't that crazy? Yes. And but that was just the way it was. So I'm I'm there. I'm I'm there for one year. Then I go back to 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 Saginaw for six weeks, and they bring me back to Western Illinois for the second year. I'm there for one year. Then I go to University of New Mexico, and at that particular time, Spike Dice was there, who was my high school coach when I was a sophomore. Interesting. And 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 I'm there, and uh, we he's only. We coached together for three weeks, and he leaves to go to Mississippi State. So, so I'm at I'm at uh, New Mexico for six years, and and we do not have a losing record, but we don't have a winning record. It was it was like we was going six and six, six and seven and five. We it was just like that. We we couldn't beat the Arizona schools. Mm-hmm. So they finally fire Coach Mont, and I I get on at a. Uh, Oregon State under Joe Alvisano. Oh, okay. And Coach Willingham, who was the offensive line coach, University of Houston, knew him. And that's how I got on at Oregon State. Well, we up there, and, and uh, the, the first year, we do not win a football game. And, and we are working from 6 o'clock in the morning to some nights, 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night. And it was mandatory while we were in the office. We had to either wear a shirt and a tie, or you could wear a turtleneck. But if you wore a turtleneck, you had to wear a jacket. And and uh and and our schedule was brutal. We we were playing the SCs and UCLA's, and we had to come down to Oklahoma and everything. And and with the exception of two games, we led every game going in the fourth quarter, and we got killed. In the fourth quarter, we just couldn't get over the hump. Uh, so I go to this uh, clinic, and and I bump into Coach Emery Ballard. Mm. And uh, the next year, he asked me, "Would I come down to Mississippi State?" And I I tell him, "Yes, I will." So when I go down there, which I didn't know, uh, they made a somewhat of a big deal about it, that I was the first black coach to coach at Mississippi State for the football team. I did not know that. I, I, well, I'm, so, and, and all of a sudden, I get these great players, Glenn Young, Colton Aldridge, Danny Knight, and all these guys going in the top round, the, the center, the right guard, and the left guard, those three guys all 
played for the Buffalo Bills with with a uh, Jim Kelly. Wow. So now I'm at Mississippi State, and and we 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 are a pretty good football team, and uh, but we had one problem that we caught Georgia and Auburn and Alabama. I mean, right in a row, mm-hmm. and we couldn't handle that. Only team that we could handle at that particular time was LSU. And LSU would beat Alabama. They came into Mississippi State number one in the country, and we just took the the tag off the helmet. They just they couldn't they couldn't they didn't understand the the system of the wishbone and mm-hmm. how we changed it, and and we we put in a a different blocking scheme. Actually, Coach Ballard, I, I told him, why don't we try this? We they had a they slid the no the the three technique a little bit wider mm-hmm. so we turned it loose and we sent the both the tackle and the guard on the linebacker and the one that didn't get him picked up the free safety so we read him and we loaded the defense in they don't have nobody out there for the pitch man no contain and we just just run down the road with them and they they couldn't <laughs> stop it and then they finally made the adjustments at halftime and we will we execute the same scheme and we threw the slant behind it and Danny Knight caught two of them. One of them was sixty some yards. The other one was seventy. The game was over with that quick. So now I'm 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 feeling pretty good about myself, and we 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 are winning and going to bowls and everything. Uh, John Jenkins was he was the defensive he was the linebacker coach. He comes down and he's the, now he's the offensive coordinator for the Houston Gamblers. Mm-hmm. So naturally he asked me would I come to our Houston Gamblers. He said. You'll learn to run and shoot. So I do. I am there the first 10 days. We're getting ready to go to lunch. And I'm I'm, I'm walking out the door, and our receptionist tells me, Coach Ford, you have a telephone call. I pick it up at that particular time. It is Coach Paterno of Penn State. No kidding. And he's offered me the receiver job to become – to be the receiver coach at Penn State. And that's the only thing that I wanted to do was coach at Penn State at that particular That's the only thing I've been telling my wife. But I, I answered the phone, and all of the coaches are looking at me. I've only been there for 10 days. And and I do not have enough, I don't know if the word is courage or whatever, to say, Coach, I'm coming. But the first thing that comes out of my mouth, Coach, I would love to come, but I just got here for 10 days. It won't be right. So, so he understood it, and he said, thank you, good luck. So I go home and tell Janice about it, and she just beat me up. She said, you've been, <laughs> you've been dreaming and talking about coaching Penn State all your life. The man offers you a job, and you do not have a cur- enough courage to say, I'm coming. Well, well, you know, I'm with the Houston Gamblers, and I, I have a unique group. We, we were – most of the guys were basically my height. Really? Yeah, Gerald McNeil. Uh, Richard Johnson, Clarence Verdan. But what and they all had great speed. That year, we had two guys, Fowler and Horrell. They rushed over a thousand yards. They both went to Cowboys. He had four receivers, all four of them caught over a hundred passes apiece, and all of them went over a thousand yards. Holy cow. We 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 were that explosive. And and we 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 won games, but we got beaten the first round playoffs uh, because we missed the field goal. And uh, as soon as we got beat, the general manager comes in. He says, 
that they don't have any money to pay us. So down here, here I am, unemployed, do not have any money. My wife, she she's working at a bank, and every time that I see her, I uh, I'm ashamed because I turned down the Penn State job, and here I am, unemployed. So she's trying to uh, build my spirit up. We go, she her friends at the bank, they all go to this comedy show. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I mean, everybody's laughing, having a great time, but my self-esteem is so low because at that time I am the only guy there that didn't have a job, and I'm being supported by my wife. And so it is killing me. So I, I get lucky. I, I get on at, at Houston Independent School District. They offer me a job to coach at middle school. I am the, the defense coordinator. And we don't have a head coach. Interesting. And, and 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 I'm out there coaching, and I'm only there about for three weeks when all of a sudden uh, Bob Valacini calls me from Kansas, and and offered me to a job to go to Kansas. Wow. So I go to Kansas, and uh, well, we are not good. Uh, in in fact, there's they Kansas do not have a football player that could outrun me. And and uh, and we we just getting killed. We we are uh, everybody's homecoming uh, opponent. And uh, we we just we we win. I I'm pretty. We didn't go zero. I know I know that we won a few games, but we didn't win many. So the next thing I know is it, the season is almost over with. Spike Dice gave me a call. He said, "Don't say anything," but I I think I'm gonna get to Texas Tech. And he gets it, and he he asks me, "Would I come to Tech?" I said, "Yes." And uh, I go to Texas Tech, and and I coach three of the finest football players that you. Well, Billy Joe Tolliver is the quarterback, but I but I have Tyrone Thurman, who was first team All American wide receiver. Tyrone Thurman was five foot four, one hundred and forty five pounds. Wow. Willie Walker. And Eddie Anderson, and and uh, the Sporting News named this group the best receiving core in the country, but they named themselves the Smurfs, and they called me Popper Smurf. <laughs> so we we are, but they are. I mean, you talking about block downfield? They would get after you, but they really could catch the football and really could run. And and it was actually four. It's a guy named Tyrone Try, and uh, he was there. So that was real good. Let me let me ask you something because this is funny because you talked about the group that you worked with uh, with the gamblers, mm-hmm. and then you get this group. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you started out talking about the fact that you know you were one of the few guys that didn't get drafted right. off that U of H team. Um, your stature, I'm sure, had a little to do with that. But you look at the challenges that you faced and how you learned to overcome the the, the vertical stature as much right. with your speed. Right. And I'm sure, uh, you know, out of the break and those kind of things, you took advantage of that. But then in your career, how you ended up being in those situations to help coach, I got to believe that what you went through as a player and the challenges you faced – 
it gave you a, such a unique perspective to coach those athletes and and really propel them to greater heights because you could say, look, I lived through this challenge. Right. I, that had to be tremendous from the standpoint of mentoring these guys. Without question, I uh, it was it, I, it was easy for me mm-hmm. because I could make the adjustments. I could see their the potential problems that they had. Sure, but I could also see the the positives that they had too. Uh, there was one more guy I, I should mention uh, because he wound up uh, Rodney Blackshear and. Uh, Different, different young man. He he had a chance to go to LSU, uh, Texas A and M. I was trying to recruit him to go to Kansas, but when I went to when I went to Tech, I taught him to come to Tech, and he wind up right now. He's in the Hall of Fame and all that stuff. But but uh, but all these guys, and and I I told him I said, oh, there's a couple of things that I expect you to do. I said I I, I expect you to go to class. Give your best shot. I expect you to be on time, and I expect you to give me your best effort on the on the field. And I said, only thing I that you can expect of me that when I leave the field, that my shirt is going to be hanging out my pants just like yours will be. And 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 that's the way that I have always approached it. Uh, I I have yet to this very moment, tried to make the player fit into the system. And I always thought that if you're going to be a football coach in particular, that you have to be able to adjust to the skill level of the player. Mm-hmm. Because one guy might not be able to run a curl a certain way. Conversely, the other guy just run it the other way. So, so you, you constantly have to make these adjustments. And as long as you are able to make the adjustments and those adjustments can fit in the system of the offensive coordinator or the head coach, then things will be fine. Uh, and, and so far it has been very good to me as far as that is concerned. And I have coached different sizes, guys. I'm from six eight to five foot four and 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 naturally they they all cannot do the same thing. Uh and and I I actually coach a little bit different. Everybody wants to teach how to do the route, can't run the route. Well, I, I I tell them two things that you need to know better route: come off the ball full speed and come out to cut full speed. Now then, if you're a small fry or a midget, gravity will allow you to do that quicker. Now if you a tall guy, you're gonna have to learn how to to do it. Uh, work on your body angle, your body plane. Some some coaches teach the guys to come down. I'm not big on that. I say if you can cut with your body playing, being consistent, you'll be fine. But I do put a lot of emphasis if you are running away from the quarterback, out route, of, that that your head needs to come around slower. And everybody thinks your head needs to come around quicker. Well, when it does, you lose a step and a half. It's okay if the quarterback is throwing to you. But if he's throwing to a spot, you won't get there. And conversely, if you run the inside route, in particular curl, I like the head to come around first. Now, if the quarterback, if linebacker or defender is in the same throwing lane with the quarterback and you, and he throws it on the opposite side of the defender, then because your head comes around first, you can make that adjustment quicker. Sure. And the ones that don't, they, 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 they are taught to turn the feet quicker. Then when they turn around, the ball is there. They reach out, lunge for it, 
with one hand, and some guys make the catch, but a lot of guys flap it. It goes up in the air. It gets picked. Sure. And they wonder why it gets picked. Well, you, you just didn't see it. So so uh, those are the only things I put emphasis on the route. I put a lot of emphasis on releasing, but the first thing that I teach you is how to catch the football. Because if you're going to be a receiver or a tight end, the way you are going to separate yourself is the way you come down with the rock. And 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 I constantly, I, I have a phrase. I tell them, I say, watch the point and grab the fat. And, it, and the guys I teach, the young guys that I teach now, I say, I can give you my phone and I can have you to call this, this player, this player, this player, and I'll name off seven of them. I say, here, call them. And if they ask the phone, ask them how to catch the football, they're going to say, watch the point and grab the fat. Period. <laughs> That's I said, awesome. That, I said, that, that's the way you catch it. And I said, if you want to play on Sunday, that this is what you have to do. Sure. And, and you want to grab the ball with with the fingers. And and there cannot be any tension in your neck all the way down to your hands because the tension is what drops the ball. And I say, you, the ball is dropped in two areas, tucking the football away and one inch from the hands. I say, everybody – that has any knowledge about the football game, talk about tuck the football away, tuck mm-hmm. the football away. Very few people tell you that you got to master that one inch. And I said the ones that are capable of mastering that one inch are the guys that play on Sunday. And that's what you do. That's awesome. Do you think that uh, in, in all that you've seen and the wonderful players that you've had an opportunity to coach and mentor, let's, let's kind of talk a little bit about, you know, we've had a little experience together with regard to, uh, player development uh, in the in the macro, uh, it's been talked about at multiple levels for several years that as sophisticated as the college game has gotten, the coaches at the college level, it's not their job to prepare a guy to go to the NFL. It's their right. job to win football games. Right. And oftentimes what we see is even at the most talented level or the biggest, highest level within you know the Power Five conferences in Division One. You still have guys coming out that get drafted that are not ready for the complexity and the speed of the NFL game. Right. Um, now, obviously, the, the league that we worked with, which didn't work out, at least not yet, um, and, and then now the XFL with McMahon bringing the XFL mm-hmm. back, if you will. Um, w- what do you think needs to happen at that level so that there is, in effect, kind of a it's almost like a minor league effect that you have in baseball where there is a proving ground where guys can get mentored, can get trained and actually take a guy that has the potential, but hasn't realized it yet to go to that next level. Right. Well, my professional, probably my personal opinion is if the team that's put a lot of emphasis on teaching technique, chances are going to be the team that's going to be one of the winners. Uh, And right now the, the concern that I've seen, and it's all it is filtered in the high school ranks, that the, the coordinators uh, in high school and the coordinators in college and the coordinators in NFL, they spend more time in scheming the product, and and not necessarily tricking, but putting up a scheme so they can score more points. Mm-hmm. And as a result, while they were scheming, the players' developmental level it just Status quo. In some cases, even go down. Uh, there's some guys you you almost amazed when you you work with some of the guys getting ready to go to the combine, and and uh, you ask them to get in a stance, 
and they have they get in a stance, but it's a stance that will not allow them to beat bump and run. And 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 they have no idea how to get in that particular stance. And then you you ask them, okay, show me what you do to clear yourself from the line of scrimmage. And every last one of them, I'm not talking about two or three of them. I'm talking about if we had 30 of them, they all would do the same thing. They'll make one move, and they will rip and try to swim. Mm -hmm. And and that was it. Uh, And I'll say, my goodness, against a a very competent uh, defender in in the secondary, the first thing he's going to do is grab your arm. And now— now, the, the official might call grabbing, but if he doesn't, you will not clear the line of scrimmage. And and so I actually think those are some of the skills that should be taught in college, but they are not. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that all the colleges do not teach technique. I'm not saying that, but I'm, I'm just saying that as a whole, in, in a general statement, that not much technique is, is taught. And excuse me, there's more schemes that's taught more than technique in, in the football arena. And to a certain degree, it has hurt some of the players. And and that's why you see that uh, Dean Campbell's football magazines and Max and all the recruiters, they're looking for the five-star player because they want a guy that's ready to play. They're not too concerned about a two-star, three-star because they're not certain if they have the time to develop him. Because they're afraid if they take that two stars guy and they see some skill of it, that if they take him and they do not win, there's a likelihood that probably won't be around three years later to see it. So they they are constantly looking for the five star guy because the bottom line is for them to win football games. Do you think that the as it's I made this point to other coaches before? It's interesting to me. Um, I was not taught now, not that I came from a real sophisticated, high powered program in high school, but I played uh, my high school ball at JJ Pierce here in mm-hmm. Richardson and North Dallas. And of course, you know, Texas football courses, most right. people recognize as, you know, number two religion in Texas behind Baptist. So, you know, <laughs> um, it's a, uh, it's one of those things. And I was not taught how to pre snap, I was not taught how to read a defense until I got to college. Yeah. And nowadays they teach eighth grade quarterbacks to do that. Right. So as the level of sophistication has gone up and the scheming, as you call mm-hmm. it, has gone up, do you feel like the gap that's created is because, as you say, they've kind of moved – they make this assumption about a guy's talent getting him over that that execution of fundamentals. Therefore, co- more and more coaches move away from reinforcing right. those fundamentals. Right. I, I mean, Is that what you're seeing? Yes, I, that's what I'm seeing. But, but the, the funny thing about it – if you uh, not necessarily question the, the coaches, they will always say, well, in the offseason, we, we have a lot of emphasis on technique. Uh, but as soon as they get in a competitive arena, the technique is out the door. They, they think, hey, we got a score, and, and we're going to be this, this particular defensive unit. They are, they are slanting to the right, and they very bar to the left side. We have to take advantage of that. So and as a result, they say that that has nothing to do with technique. That's me getting you over here from point A to point B, and let's be functional with it. So uh, I I just think that you can do both of them, but I would like to see more emphasis on technique. Uh, just like what you were saying, what you was going through, 
Well, see, when I was at Belton in high school, I was in a four-point stand as a running back. So when when I went to University of Houston, and I I couldn't I had no idea how to get in a two-point stance. Mm-hmm. Uh, three. Well, at that time we were in a three-point stance. Peacock, this one of the secondary guys was the one that taught me how to get in my stance. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So it it it's 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 not that rule anymore. Uh, but I do think the sophistication uh, of of the offenses have changed as far as technique concerned. Just I was talking to a, a high school, a middle school coach yesterday, and he was saying, "Isn't it amazing that the high schools, then the college, have been doing the RPOs for years, right? And now it's just getting in the NFL. That's supposed to be the pinnacle of football, and and so they they just learning how to do it." But it's been around for years. It was shucks when I was at university. We ran the veer, but we also ran the we threw the option passes off of it. Sure, and and was very successful in it. It was simple. That was just like bread and butter to us. Yeah, and I mean we didn't get into it a whole lot because primarily, uh, at least in my case, it was more of a, a lack of. Uh, natural versatility. I was I was a pretty average <laughs> high school player, but uh, but we even out of the pro set, we were running you know right. a, a drop read option right. you know left and right something right. you had to learn how to do. Right. So it's not like it hasn't been around in one form or right. another for a while. But you know I think too we're starting to see the advent of you know having the athletes move up to that level that are now not just a one-and-done kind of guy. You're having these, you know, the Lamar Jacksons of the world who right. can handle that physically mm-hmm. and 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 mentally, if you will, yes. you know, because obviously the game's complex. But um, and, and I think a lot of times when we have celebrated guys that were, you know, quote, dual-threat college mm-hmm. quarterbacks, the problem is either the scheme wasn't ready for them or they weren't ready for what they got into, and when they when it was tried at the NFL level, to me, it's always been unsuccessful for both of those reasons. Right, it's it's been a bit of the scheme and a bit of the player. Right, um, but I think that you know, I, I certainly this year what the Ravens did with with Lamar Jackson was just unbelievable. Yes, and and to a certain degree, it, although the the talent level is higher, but ju- just because those hashes only six yards apart, uh, it allows guys like Lamar Jackson to go either way, mm-hmm. and now he he has the ability to check away from the, the the overloads, which forces the defense to be balanced. Now, now what happens if you have a free safety that's a half a step slow, or the first quarter he was confident in making that tackle in the run alley, but come third quarter he he's getting there not too confident. Now you have a problem. And and because the defense, although they can make the adjustments on, you can take the quarterback and everything. But only thing that that defensive end sees that ball in that running back stomach, he's going to tackle that running back. Sure. And 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 Mari pulls it. Now you got a problem because in, instead of him being six feet, uh, run a four seven, you know he he's still six feet. He's a little under six feet, but he he's running a four three, and. Uh, it's a whole different operation, especially with all that yardage. Now the only thing he has to do is learn how to slide, not to take the big lick. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, let's go transition into something that I think is is interesting because uh, your unique perspective, uh, what you started off talking about is the opportunities you had at other schools mm-hmm. and ultimately deciding to go to University of Houston. 
and what you lived through and then what you've seen as a coach, particularly at the collegiate level. Uh, last year, the legislature, the House and Senate in, in California passed a law and the governor, governor signed it, which has completely caused the, the, the it's undone the NCAA. And yes. they're, they're now doing congressional hearings and all this. Now, people are calling it pay for play. The reality is the, the law was written to allow athletes in California specifically in this case to be able to accept compensation for their name and likeness. It wasn't like, I think a lot of people are interpreting this as as the schools were going to pay them. Mm -hmm. And and it may eventually evolve to that, which will completely undo amateurism as we know it. But um, I I absolutely have believed for many years that players should be able to, in in a free market economy, make money, you know, to help themselves. Most people don't realize that what you get as a scholarship is not necessarily everything you need when you're a student athlete. What's your perspective on, on obviously we don't know what's going to happen. Right. What's your perspective right now as it looks, you know, looking in, in, in the rearview mirror, so to speak, uh, from what you, <laughs> from what you went through? Well, I personally wish it was there when, when I was When you playing. were there, yeah. <clears throat> Only when I was there, we received two things. Uh, and again, I might be wrong with the price. I think we got a $15 check and, and we got a, laundry ticket to get our clothes clean. No kidding. And that was it. Now you, you could work in the summer mm-hmm. and, and, uh, but that had, that was also police because if you, if you worked with a job or let's say some places you had a job and you didn't work and got paid, but that wasn't the case. I, the job I had, I, I was one of the guys that, that did the sewers pipes in the ground. I was the one that put them together and everything Again, I was a midget, could get in that hole and glue the things, but it, it, it was tough work. But I wish I, I would have been able to to have the opportunity to brand my name. Uh, and, I, and my name might have been, might not have been enough to be branded, but at least I would like to have that particular opportunity. I, I know that it's uh, there's some serious arguments about that one way because everybody's concerned that it will destroy the amateurism of athletics, and I'm not too certain it will. There's some uh, uh, NCAA, uh, whether it's football or basketball, make a lot of money, and and some of these kids uh, actually need it. And I actually think it, it might be a pretty good idea if they did it. Might keep those student athletes being student athletes for four years instead of a one and done thing, uh, because most of them are leaving. Not necessarily because of the talent; they leave them because of the money. Absolutely, and and uh and 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 yet yet when you talk to them, they all will say that they really did enjoy their college experience. Well, why don't you give them an incentive to stay there a little bit longer? It's interesting because I've on on the Facebook group that I run for this podcast, mm-hmm. we have a number of people that are very passionate about the fact that these players, you know. When you look at the of the billions of dollars being made on the backs right. of coll- of collegiate athletes, and I'm not just talking about football, right? Across the board, men's and women's sports, that exact uh, outcome that you just spoke of is presumed to be a very, very uh, there's a high propensity that that would that would happen, that it would actually have the effect as in terms rather than undoing it. It would cause more athletes to want to stay and enjoy right. that so-called collegiate experience right. that many of the non-athletes love. And when they graduate, right. they say, "Man, I had a great time at Fill exactly. in the Blank University." You know, exactly. And 
And oh, by the way, we both know, you know, with the few number of guys that actually, despite what you talked about, starting oh, yeah. out at U of oh, H, yeah. all those right. guys that got drafted. The reality is, even among the Power Five conferences, there are still a ton of kids that don't go to the NFL. Exactly. And 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 the further down you go, there's more of them. Mm-hmm. So you've got a lot of kids that would benefit hugely while they're in school, get a leg up, not graduate with massive, you know, student debt anyway, because they're right. if, if, even if they're not a scholarship athlete, if they can total load and be able to brand themselves and be able to make a little money mm-hmm. while they're in school, it makes it defray some of that cost. So I I just I've kind of I've kind of the pendulum in my mind has swung the other way. Initially, I was. The biggest thing I worry about is is the wolves in sheep clothing that are going to come out and start to taint the recruiting process, right. specifically with parents, because right. they'll, they'll start planting seeds in parents' mm-hmm. minds that are then going to boil down to the athletes. But that's a dynamic coaches are going to have to learn to deal with. Right. You know, so I think it's a good thing all the way around. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit to kind of finish up about um, uh, something I call the two minute drill. And it's uh, it's really just a, a, a some random questions related in and out to what you've gone through in your life in and out of football. Um, starting with uh, you know your youth experience and at whatever level, do you have a specific memory that kind of sticks out in your mind when you were a kid that was just one of those seminal moments that that you said, "Man, I, that was my 15 minutes of fame." Yes, I uh, we we had <clears throat> excuse community football team mm-hmm. and and uh. I finally got started in, uh, as the tailback. Finally got in there. Well, they, we're on the 10-yard line, and in the first game, I do not touch the football. Uh, the second game, three minutes left in the game, they called my number, and I go for a touchdown. I, I will never forget that. I just took me a game in the head to touch the ball. In my first touch, I went for a touchdown. Same thing happened to me when I was in high school. I, I done the same thing, uh, and those things I remember. Uh, I, I remember I'm on the I'm on the at UH. Uh, I'm on the punt cover team, mm-hmm. and you know how you name out. I got this guy. I got this right, guy. right. Well, we we playing University of Miami, and 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 uh the the it was a big guy. He he said, I got the small one, and I I. Pat the right guard. I said, which one is he talking about, you or me? <laughs> and he's just laughing. <laughs> uh, I, I remember when I'm 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 with the Cowboys and we playing San Diego Chargers. And uh we are leading, but it's getting ready to be two minutes. Mm-hmm. And uh Troy comes over to the sideline and 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 I tell him we that's that's getting flex right, sket right, Y option five. And if you complete this. I'll play golf with you uh, this coming weekend because we had a we had an open date, and and he says uh, you you're not gonna we cannot play together because I'm staying out here to play golf so I know we're not gonna be playing together, so he he walks back, and then he comes he comes back and he asks me how do you hit that draw, <laughs> and and then he then he then he, and I'm looking at Jimmy and Jimmy's getting red in the face and then he comes right back. And he said, would you tell me to play again? I, oh, my goodness. Now, now Jimmy's really after me. So he goes out there, and he he throws the ball, get a first down, and he's behind the huddle, practices putting stroke. Oh, man. <laughs> so Making sure that you saw him, yeah, I'm yeah. sure. That's so. crazy. What about is it up to the point 
in your early years, up to the point where you got to U of H, was there a, a coach that you had made just a huge impression on you that you still remember? Well, I, I had two of them. And, uh, again, I had Spike Dice when I was a sophomore. Mm-hmm. And then I had Coach Jack Meredith uh, from my junior and senior league he, uh, years. And, and and both of them were, in, in fact, up to recently, I, I have told everybody that Spike Dice was my second dad. I said, before I did anything for the most part, I always called him to get his opinion on, on which direction I should go. And they were both very positive influence on me. They they kept me on a straight road, and they, they worked hard, but they were they never discouraged me anything. And I... I I don't have anything negative to say. Everything that those two did men did for me was one hundred and fifty percent positive. That's awesome. And without them, I wouldn't have made it. Well, I'll tell you what, and, and I can say from personal experience uh, that that comes through in your own coaching style. And and I'm mm-hmm. I'm so big on that now, especially just living a positive lifestyle. Period. But in the way that you coach, um, it, it's. Uh, Again, it's that energy that I think because the players have to understand the technique. They have to be able to execute, you know, a certain way. But when you can make them feel a certain way, said so that that inner drive comes out that they they want to please you, they want right. to compete right. and do that. And I think you do that. It, it, it's it's just incredible. I, I've uh, I've said this to many guys. I've had the blessing of working with. It's being able to take that PhD level understanding of football and bring mm-hmm. it down to an eighth grader, oh, yeah. you know, so they understand it. When you uh, when you got to the Cowboys, uh, it's interesting that you mentioned Coach Avanzano. Rest in peace. Um, mm-hmm. at, at your experience at Oregon was was he instrumental in, in initially getting you, or did you guys just end up there at, at when when you got on the Cowboys? Staff? No, no, no. He he uh, he calls me, and he, he said, "Look here, there's a tight end job open. He do not do anything about it." He said, "Your name came up," and and uh, I told uh, Jimmy that I. Uh, I knew him. He said, but don't you call anybody, just leave it alone. Well, at that particular time, I'm at AM and Jack Pardee just got the head coaching job for the Houston Oilers. And he was the head coach at the uh, Houston Gamblers when I was there. Mm-hmm. So everybody's thinking that I'm getting ready to leave AM to go to Houston. Uh, but I'm I'm thinking that I'm either going to be an Aggie or I'm going to the Cowboys. That was the only thing I was thinking about. And I I thought that the Cowboys was, uh, let's say, a one out of a thousand mm-hmm. shot. I I just, I, I, I was excited about it, but I really didn't think that I was going to get a shot. When I interviewed for the job, and they, they flew me up there, Let's say that I arrived there at nine o'clock. I went into a room. At first, I I was I met all the coaches, and then they sent me to this to this room, and I sat there from nine to twelve. Nobody, nobody, nobody. I saw nobody. Uh, North Turner and Tony Wise come in, and they take me to lunch. When I come back, I come back to the same room and I sat there from one thirty to 3. And then Barbara, she comes uh, to me and says, well, Coach Johnson wants to speak with you right now. So I go in the room, go in the office, and uh, he is writing 
and uh, he, he never looks up. And he asked me, he said, Robert, did you like what you see? And I told him a lie because I said, yes, I did. But I only <laughs> saw just one room. <laughs> and he said, if, if, you, if I offer this job, would you take it? I said, yes, I will. So he raised up his hand. He has yet to look up. And I shake his hand, and he jumps up. He said, this is going to change your life. This is the best decision. I mean, he's really excited about it. And so I, I inserted my foot in my mouth. I said, I want you to know, Coach, I'm your mission link to the Super Bowl run. Just like that. Wow, he, that's he, confidence. I know it. He, he does not, he does not, his body language or nothing changes. Uh, a couple of years later, he goes to Miami, and he talks me uh, to come down there. And uh, we were just talking, uh, and he said, uh, would, you know, I want you to come to Miami. And uh, I said, yeah, I would like to. He said, but I, I got to ask you one more question, though. Uh, he said, are you still my missing link to the Super Bowl run? <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> Obviously made an impression on him. Yeah, I said, I, I didn't think he was listening to me. <laughs> Let me ask you something about the culture at that time. When I was interviewing Dale Hellestray, the one thing he, he talked about when he arrived at the Cowboys, he said the thing that blew him away was uh, because he had come from a little bit different environment, um, was he said that what showed up the most at the practice field was hard work. Oh. And he said, he said, when your three best guys, Troy, Emmett, and, and, and Michael Irvin, are working harder than anybody else, nobody else has an excuse. And he said that was what propelled that group of people through to three Super Bowl victories. He said, obviously, they had a ton of talent. Oh. And it had a great coaching staff. But he said the, the hard work. And it's interesting to me. He said to this day, Michael Irvin's still one of his best friends. And I, and, and that, I, I don't know why I didn't see that coming. I just didn't necessarily mm-hmm. put the two of them together. Um, but it was, it was uh, he said Michael was by far the best teammate he's ever had. More pa- he said never known anybody that was more passionate about the game of football oh. than that. Did, did you experience that, that culture when you were there? Oh, yes. It, it, <laughs> I, I can tell you about I could tell you 15 stories, but I'll share two of them with mm-hmm. you. In training camp, in, in the nine-on-seven contest, you know, when the offense, the front seven goes against defense last, sure. Jimmy would always move it to the fans. I'm right. I'm talking about right by the fence, right in front of everybody, and we got out these. I'm talking about we had 15 plays, and the only thing you could see was elbows and cleats. And then and, – the coaches was jumping around. The fans were going bananas. But the players was going full speed, killing each other. Mm-hmm. Not one person missed practice. The sack one, and uh, I, I, I cannot recall. It, it was in uh, Coach Switzer's era. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael and Michael was having a hard time in the offseason. We were not. We were a good team, but we were not a real good team. And we had yet to win a preseason game. We getting ready to play Pittsburgh Steelers up there, and uh, Pittsburgh was favored to beat us. And Coach Swisser just gave his speech to the team, and did Michael gets up, and he said, first, fellas, I want you to know that I'm, I apologize for all of the problems that I brought to the team in the off season." But he said, "I want you to know something. I love you to death. I, I'll do everything for you." And all of a sudden, he started hollering. And tears are going down his face. And he said, I would do everything for you. And he, he, he was, I mean, he was screaming. Then all of a sudden he stopped, picked up his hell bell, and walked. Everybody, we whooped the, 
the Pittsburgh Steelers that day, forty-four to sixteen. Ooh, and and that's what type of impact that he had on the football team. But that's also to a certain degree. Uh, it's all it's to a certain degree the way I coach. Is it, that I believe that if if you some kind of way figure out how to uh, exercise or get to a player's heart that his performance level will be so high uh, that you probably cannot deal with it. You know, some people talk about technique, and I, I teach technique, don't get me wrong, but I spend a whole lot of time trying to motivate a person's heart. And and I, I, I spend a lot of time telling the, the number one thing that most of the players, the ones that, that fail, that get cut in NFL, it's not because of their skill level, it's because they – sell themselves short and they think that they cannot or they cannot fit in the NFL. Well it's just the opposite. You 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 first gotta grasp on something and you gotta believe in it and then you gotta work at it. And and everybody might comprehend something a little bit different, but we all have a heart and we all want to be successful. And if you by any chance can can reach that and if you can teach that, then you're probably going to have a successful player and you're probably going to have a successful football team. I agree. I, I, I can't. I, I can't. Boy, I, that's, that's powerful. I am, I'm reading a book right now by John O'Sullivan called Every Moment Matters. And one of the things that he talks about in there, because he trains coaches, is the fact that, you, you know, the goal is always to win, but you play for a higher purpose. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of thing you're talking about. You know, it's that ability to reach into somebody's heart and, and create an inner, uh, an inner energy, an inner desire to want to achieve greatness. You know, right. not only at, at, you know, the, on their own level, but as part of something bigger than them. Right. And I, I just think that's such a powerful message. That's a great way to end. That really <laughs> is. I, uh, Coach, I really appreciate you. Uh, not only everything, uh, you know, that our relationship and in, 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 in coaching is meant, but just – um, in the game of football, I have every time I've been around you, I've I've learned something, and that is uh, that's a special gift because when you have that kind of knowledge and the ability to share, even if you're not necessarily intending to, and and that's always <laughs> your and that's always that's kind of your mo. I mean, you you really truly are coaches are teachers, and and you're a, a absolutely phenomenal coach and a marvelous teacher. So you know, in in terms of what you just talked about, I I I just I wanted to thank you from the bottom of my heart to take the time to come down here and do the interview, but also for our friendship personally and professionally. And uh, I just hope we get a chance to continue working together long into the future. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. I appreciate that too. Listen, guys, if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to the podcast and mark this for your favorites. I really appreciate everybody tuning in. And remember, when you're out there doing stuff, if you're doing something for football, make sure you're doing it for the good of the game. We'll see you later. Take care. Bye-bye.